and welcome to this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Mark Simon, we hope that you're doing well wherever you are. It's good to be talking about baseball in any form, and uh, with everything that's going on in the negotiations, we're going to stray from that a little bit. And on today's show, we're going to talk draft with Baseball American national writer Carlos Colazzo. He's their draft expert. And, uh, let's get right to it. But first, uh, I do want to ask, as we've asked every guest, what's the most interesting thing you've done during the pandemic? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I actually got to uh, I got to go to the beach a little bit uh, to quarantine with my girlfriend. Her family has a beach house there, and she's studying for uh, med school. So, so that was nice uh, to be able to do that. But maybe the most unique thing is moving during the middle of the pandemic. That is a a bit of a weird scenario, just because you got to have the masks on while you're huffing and puffing and moving stuff around. But I'm actually moving to uh, to Norfolk, Virginia, and did that two days after the draft. So it's been a it's been a bit of a long week for me. Baseball America, of course, long time the authorities on the MLB draft. Um, give us an account of what your preparation is like going into it. Well, this was uh, this was a bit of a different year, obviously, just because no baseball season leading up to it for the most part. But for me, I would say it's just a lot of time spent on the phone with scouts. Every year we do a BA 500, which is a ranking of the top 500 prospects in the country for the draft. So a lot of my time in the month, I would say leading up to it is just finalizing those reports, finalizing the order uh, as best we can to kind of match the consensus of the industry's opinion on that talent. And so far as like there is a consensus on the talent, obviously that diverges a lot as you get further and further down the list. This year, I think it was easier to maybe iterate our list and kind of continue tweaking it just because everything is static in terms of the players. Like Normal years, you would have a bunch of players shooting up boards based on their performance or dropping down boards because they aren't performing well. This year, it was more just kind of refining information, getting second and third and fourth and fifth opinions on players uh, who weren't playing. So from my perspective, it was almost a little bit more calm in terms of making that list because there's just so many moving parts typically. And then as I'd say like three weeks out, we get really serious about the mock drafts, although... That didn't. <laughs> um, how much video do you get to watch? Uh, we have pretty significant amount of video uh, on most of the top 100 to 200 guys, I would say. I take a lot of it in person, just kind of the summer before for a lot of the high school guys. Uh, and then during the spring, I get to take some more for a lot of the college players, and we get a lot passed along. So that's definitely fun to be able to put eyes on some of the guys who I haven't seen before or just look back at players that I remember seeing from the summer. Uh, and it's always nice when kind of what I see matches what scouts tell me uh, plenty of times that that isn't the case just because they're so good at picking up so many small little things that I, I would never have picked up on. But for most of the top guys, I'd say I've been able to pour over video of them. When you watch video, how much of it uh, do you watch that's hitting uh, versus how much of it do you watch that's uh, defensive based? I would say obviously depending on the position, middle infielders, catchers, outfielders, you see a lot more defensive video for first baseman there's really not a ton that i see not a ton that we have generally on those guys but uh for up the middle players and outfielders in general i'd say the video is maybe 25 30 percent defense generally and the rest is swings either in game or batting practice what are the challenges of trying to project defense well both for a high school player and a collegiate player uh, based off of what you see well, fortunately, I, I get to draw a lot of my opinions and thoughts based on feedback from scouts. So uh, we try to definitely take more of a reporting-based look at the draft versus a, like, I'm a, I'm a scout telling you what to think. Um, so that kind of 
allows me to kind of consult the experts to inform like what we're telling our readers in our scouting reports. Like for most of the reports that I have um, that I write, my opinion, I try to not put in the report, just to try and make it as objective and industry based as possible. But in terms of just what I see from guys, uh, I mean, I, I've kind of continued to learn and to, to figure out different keys and, and different uh, little inputs that, that scouts are looking for with players. But I think generally what I look for uh, are just actions and athleticism. How smooth is a player defensively? Uh, does he look like he has good natural timing, body control, instincts, stuff like that? Uh, obviously, you can look for like big arm strength or, or speed that stands out. That jumps out pretty quickly. But I'm really drawn to the f- defensive side of the game. I love watching middle infielders take ground balls and just uh, turn double plays and work around the bag, stuff like that. So I look for footwork. I look for actions of the hands, uh, how the body moves in space. Uh, and just routes to the ball. I think in an out, outfitter specifically, one of the guys who I'm sure we'll touch on here, but Pete Armstrong is definitely the best defensive center fielder I've seen at the high school level. And he's far from the fastest high school player that I've seen in the outfield. So I think what really stands out to him for him is just how instinctual he is defensively, how crisp his routes are, his jumps and reads off the ball. So I think a lot of that stuff is more like fine-tuned skills i would say rather than just like explosive athletic so that that i mean does that come from like coaching does that does that just come from from reps for him or natural talent i think a lot of all of that i think you can definitely try and um improve players defensively with coaching but i think there is a certain natural kind of instinct that that some players either have maybe that's from just being around the game frequently at a young age maybe that's being exposed to kind of high level coaching from a young age because I, I do think there's there's a limit to to how good you can get defensively, or else everyone we'd figure out, or maybe it's just uh, we don't know how to coach it yet. Um, if it was all coaching, then I think we'd see much better defenders at the major league level and and down throughout college. But I think no, a lot of it is just how how do you read a bo- the ball off the bat? Like you can't really coach that. Some guys are just really quick at getting those jumps and getting those reads and uh, and being able to kind of intuit where the ball is traveling and how they need to get to that spot quickest you can definitely refine route running abilities we see that with kind of our prospect handbook bot guys they're always fast guys in the minors who have gotten away with uh, getting to balls just because they can outrun most other people but maybe their routes have suffered because of that um so training that definitely happens but for some kids especially pete crow i i just think it's something within them i don't know i don't know how he's gotten to to being so gifted defensively but but he is very polished and it jumps out to me every time I watch him. I want to stick with him. I, I was going to actually start with Torkelson, but I want to stick mm-hmm. with uh, Crow Armstrong. Uh, I have somewhat of a vested interest in him as I follow yeah. the Mets pretty avidly. <laughs> Who are his comps uh, in terms of whether it be offensive or defensive? You know, I, I'm probably the not a great comp guy just because I've, I've only been doing it for four years with Baseball America. So I think a lot of the guys who have been scouting for 20 years, they could easily pick out guys who are in the major leagues right now uh, who they could remember seeing back when they were high school players just to, to give you a more accurate reading. I, don't, I wouldn't want to put a guy on Pete Crow that okay. maybe does Did- him a disservice or does someone else a disservice. But, I mean, guys like Kevin Kiermeyer at the major league level, Victor Robles defensively. I mean, some of the elite guys defensively, I think, would be comp to him as far as the defensive game. All right. So, um, and and also with him, I think what what seems to be particularly interesting, at least based on the article that I read in the Athletic, uh, him the person 
uh, makes for an interesting uh, kind of projection too, because the I guess some of the the things that you look for in uh, in a person besides mm. as a player uh, seems he seems to rate very highly in those. Yeah, scouts really rave about his makeup, and I I think I read part of that story that you're referring to. But I mean, he's just a guy that's really passionate about the game, and he's very serious about the game. I got to watch him play as an underclassman, and he's really kind of the spark plug of his high school team. So I think those intangibles go a long way in kind of getting the most out of your skills. There are some guys who maybe are more laid back or more casual about how they go about things, but that's definitely not Pete Crow. Um, and I think that's part of why his game is so refined, really on, on both sides of the ball, but especially defensively. Yeah, I think that that makeup that translates to work ethic and kind of getting the most out of your game is extremely valuable. And the teams that, that put a priority on scouting for that makeup and figuring out the behavioral science aspect of things. I think that's, you're going to see teams succeeding and failing based on a lot of that. All right, let's shift to the number one pick in the draft, uh, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, mm-hmm. You heard a lot of things at first base, how he profiled to an Alonzo. One of our guys said a right-handed Rizzo. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they, they, get, they announce him at third base. Uh, how's he going to hold up defensively there, and, and does that make sense given uh, kind of who he is? Yeah, I, I think I'm always more inclined to be okay with teams trying a player out at a tougher defensive position and kind of higher up the defensive spectrum just because I don't see much downside. Like if, if it doesn't work out, okay, you just put him back at first and you let him hit. It's not like he's going to forget how to play first base because you tried him at third base for a month or two. I do think he is athletic enough to handle it. I think he has the arm strength to handle it. What I would be most curious is just kind of the lateral mobility. How does he move in on balls and field balls on the run? Those tough slow rollers at third base that major league defenders need to be able to make on a regular basis. Is he capable of throwing from those different angles that he really never has to throw from as a first baseman? Uh, Can he adapt to that and do that? I think just based on the athleticism that we've been told about him and that I've been able to see from him, I think he has all the raw tools to make it work. And I think depending on the scouts that you talk to, some are more or less inclined to believe that those athletic attributes will be able to translate to those more fine skills that you need. He he did play at a very, very talented Arizona State infield. Um, there are maybe three shortstops, like legit shortstops in that infield between Alika Williams, their second baseman, and then um, Gage Workman at third base. So I think it's interesting. I, I was surprised just because we thought of him as more of a first base or a corner outfield if you need him. Um, we hadn't talked to a lot of people who were projecting him at third, but I'm very fascinated because if he can play an adequate third base, uh, the profile just got that much better. Yeah, I was going to say, even unless he's like a total butcher, if he hits the way that all these things say that he should hit, he should be fine, right? Absolutely. All right. Uh, the Blue Jays got Austin Martin at five, uh, which was a little surprising. I guess that he dropped a, a spot or two. All I've heard about him just from reading is how versatile he is. How good mm-hmm. a defender is he? Yeah, I think there's there you could go two ways with this. You could say he's very versatile and so you're impressed with his defense, or you could take the more skeptical approach, which is what a lot of scouts have come to and say he's playing a lot of positions because he's not great at one. He played third base for a lot uh, of time at Vanderbilt and then had to move from the position early after struggling with with some of his throws. Uh, I talked with some scouts who thought he had the yips early in the season, and that's why he moved to center field. He played in center field last summer for Team USA because Alika Williams, who we just talked about, was the the shortstop who kind of handled that position for the the collegiate national team. 
Um, he has the ability to play second, and I think he has the ability to play shortstop just because the athleticism and the hands uh, and his actions. But he needs time at all these positions. I think he's a bit raw at maybe all these positions outside of third where he's played the most. Um, in center field, I think he's just very naturally gifted and he, he's taken to it very quickly. I got to see him last summer and I was really impressed with his route running and just jumps on the ball. I think in terms of athleticism, running ability, throwing ability, he has all those tools. It's just a matter of continued reps with him, getting him comfortable at one position. Uh, if you're going to stick him at one spot and just leave him there. But I'm very, very curious to see if he can play shortstop because heading into this spring, a lot of scouts were really hoping that he was going to play the position uh, to kind of enhance his value. But their freshman at Vanderbilt, Carter Young, is a pretty polished defender, uh, and he never got the chance. So I would love to see if he can handle shortstop. I think it's probably more than likely that he ends up at center field or second base, um, but I think he's got a chance to play the left side. Is it fair that you wouldn't want to necessarily turn a guy into a Zobrist uh, in terms of position uh, maneuverability until he got to the, you know, the high minors, the major leagues, rather than do something like that in college, where, as you said, uh, he's not necessarily getting a lot of reps anywhere? Yeah, I think definitely in college, the incentive is just to win games. And because he can just kind of slot into wherever you want to put him, I think he played every defensive position for them except for catcher and pitcher. So I, I can see the incentives for college kind of aligning more with just plugging him in wherever. And I, I do think there is some value in playing a bunch of positions. I, I think scouts like that, teams like to see that. But also, if you're going to be an everyday player at the major league level, I think there's just so much value in getting hundreds and hundreds of reps, uh, hundreds and hundreds of innings. At You just have to be so consistent at such a high level, at the major league level. I think there's really no replacement for not playing those positions. So I do think it can work for you in both ways. Another infielder that was uh, touted very highly was the Cubs pick, uh, Ed Howard, shortstop, mm-hmm. uh, local guy for them, high schooler. Uh, I would say him and Pete Crow were the two guys that are the most about their uh, or their defense. Um, what was your take on, on what did you learn about him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are plenty of people who think Ed Howard is the best defensive shortstop in the class, college or high school. I think that I would probably tend to agree. I think Alika Williams would be the other guy that I pointed to that's close. Um, But just in terms of the athleticism and the actions at shortstop, it's everything that you want to see. I mean, he moves very fluidly in the field. He's very smooth. He makes up ground on the ball well. He takes good angles. He can throw from multiple angles and spots in the field. Uh, he's got the arm strength when he's healthy to throw from the hole, to throw up the middle. Uh, he's very quick on his transfer. I just think he does a lot of things really well. He's got excellent body control and good, just an, a great internal clock, just kind of knowing when he needs to release and throw hard and when he can take a little bit off his throws. I just think everything that you look for for an amateur shortstop, he does very well. Uh, and he projects to get a little bit more physical and a little bit stronger. So I think if you do have any questions about Total arm strength, I think he's going to get strong enough to, to answer all of those questions. For for me, the question with Ed Howard is his bat. Uh, everyone that I've talked to thinks he's a an absolute lock to stick at shortstop long-term. And if he makes it to the majors, it would be a surprise if he wasn't playing shortstop just because of how refined and how athletic he is at the position. Is he someone who like you would figure for most uh, high school guys four to five years away? Uh, I think it will just depend on the bat. I mean, that's probably the average amount of time if he does struggle with the bat I could see him taking a little bit longer I would want to move him slowly at first just because he hasn't had a ton of reps offensively he plays in a 
a cold weather state that maybe doesn't have the greatest competition. And there are some approach concerns that I would have offensively. Um, so I would just kind of like to move him along slow, let him worry about hitting, let him just kind of keep doing his thing defensively. Um, I wouldn't rush to move him up a minor league system by any means. Cubs certainly building uh, great defensive shortstops with uh, the last few that they've had, including Javi Baez, who uh, tied for the shortstop lead in defensive run save last year. And it sounds like they've got a good one uh, in Ed Howard. One outfielder I did want to bring up, uh, Garrett Mitchell to the Brewers. Uh, mm. I, I read that you liked him a lot. What do you make of him? Yeah, I think I might be one of the higher people in the industry on Mitchell just because I believe that he's he's going to be able to kind of tap into all his his many explosive tools at the next level. Uh, I just believe in him as a player on both sides of the ball. But in terms of defense, Mitchell is interesting because I think he's still got some growth in center field. He played right field a lot as an underclassman of the UCLA in his first two years. Um, but he has all the elite tools that you kind of would expect from a great major league center fielder. He's an 80 grade runner, one of the better runners in the class. I think we only had one college player in front of him in terms of pure speed the 2020 class he's got probably one of the better arms of the pure center fielders in this class it's an easy plus arm uh that i think could be a weapon as well i'm not too huge on arm strength just for outfielders i think it's probably a little overrated as a tool i'd be much rather have a guy who can track down everything and cover huge swaths of ground than someone who has a cannon just because i think that probably doesn't affect the game as much as people think but he does have the arm strength um, I think that you could refine his routes a little bit in the outfield just because he hasn't, like I said, he hasn't been in that position a ton, but he did play center field in high school. So I think it's, it's not like it's a new position to him by any means, but yeah, I, I think he's got everything you, you would want to see from a guy who's going to be a plus defender at the major league level in center field. And we haven't even talked about his offensive tools. I have me so excited about him. What, what do you like about him as a hitter? Yeah, I think uh, as a hitter, I like his uh, bat-to-ball skills just to start. I think he's got a really good ability to put the bat on the ball. I think that's going to be key as he kind of moves forward and adjusts his swing. I think there have been some questions about his swing, whether or not he pulls pulls out on the ball too much, rolls over on the ball too much. He's never really hit for in-game power consistently, dating back to his high school days, and that's a question. Uh, but in batting practice, scouts have seen 70-grade raw power. So I think if you Get him with a team that has good player development, uh, especially for hitters, and you can kind of figure out how to change his swing to tap into that power more frequently. You're looking at a very dynamic player who uh, can also slap the ball around, bunt, get on base, and be a, a real menace on the bases. I just think in, in every phase of the game, Mitchell has a chance to affect it at a really high level. Brewers have built a, a pretty good team in the last few years, uh, including they've got a pretty good center fielder of their own right now, Garrett Mitchell representing the future. All right, last position, catcher. Uh, Patrick mm-hmm. Bailey from North Carolina State goes to the Giants. Interesting because they've got Buster Posey for another year or two at catcher, and then Joey Bart, who was thought to be the uh, heir apparent. Where does Bailey stand, and what do you make of his being picked? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of people who were kind of wondering about this pick because like you said they just took Bart at number two two years ago uh it's a different leadership group making the pick this year so I think that could have something to do with it maybe they have either different evaluations of Bart or they just think that you know he's the best player available we already have a catcher but you know catcher is a it's a very important position and it's not the greatest era for catchers maybe because of some of the defensive value and and how that affects the offensive performance of catchers at the major league level but I do think I think, honestly, just based on what I've heard with Bailey, just kind of throughout the industry and the public perception, I think his defense has probably slept on a little bit. I mean, we think of him as the best catch-and-throw defender 
in the class. We thought he had plus ability as a receiver, as a framer, as a blocker. Uh, he's got a plus throwing arm. He calls his own game in college, which is rare. Um, most college coaches and college teams just call the game from the dugout. Uh, but Bailey is a guy who has experience kind of calling a game and working with a pitching staff. Uh, he has Team USA experience, which is important for a lot of these guys in the first round. At least scouts and teams value that at a pretty high level. So he can work with all the elite pitchers in this class. Um, and I think even going back to his high school days, when he was coming out of uh, high school in North Carolina, he was thought of as a catch-and-throw-only guy uh, with a lot of questions about his bat. He's hit a lot better than scouts would have expected going back to his prep days. He's got above-average power from both sides of the plate. Uh, and just a matter of how much is he going to hit, I think there are some scouts who have him as a below-average hitter, and guys who are higher on him believe he's going to be an average hitter. But above-average power with plus defensive skills at catcher uh, is a pretty valuable backstop at the big league level just considering that baseline for a catcher offense we've gone through a lot of uh, players and talked about their defensive skills is there anyone who we didn't mention who you thought their defense stood out i think the one other guy that i'd mention is drew romo he's a catcher who went to the rockies in the supplemental first round with their uh, number 35 pick and i think he is probably the most polished defensive catcher in the class which is pretty remarkable for a high school guy. I do think most scouts would probably tell you he's better defensively than Patrick Bailey. He was a guy who I remember talking to a few scouts who thought he was the best defensive catcher in the entire state of Texas, high school or college, when he was a freshman in high school. That's how kind of polished and refined and advanced he's been for such a long time. And that's that's better than guys like Shea Langoliers, who last year was a top 10 pick for a large part because of what he can do behind the plate. So I just think it's hard to overstate how special Drew Romo is as a defender. Again, the questions with him would be the offense. But I do think that Drew Romo has a path to the major leagues in some capacity, even if it's just as a backup, if the bat doesn't improve. Um, but he can just do everything that you want to see from from a catcher. And, and for someone who's that young at the toughest defensive position, to have that kind of a reputation, I think, is is pretty special. Two more questions for um, our guest, Carlos Colazzo. Uh, we had Parker Chavers on our show uh, last week. Uh, why do you think he didn't get picked? Yeah, I think we had him ranked in a range that was kind of borderline. We had him 167, and there were obviously 160 picks. So if we had him pegged right, it, it makes sense that he wasn't drafted. I think it could be kind of yes or no, just depending on the team, maybe depending on bonus pools. He's just kind of one of those guys that got squeezed out. But I think the biggest thing is his arm injury. If he was playing this spring and was able to show uh, kind of some ability to tap into those tools like he had done previously at Coastal Carolina, I think he's a guy who definitely makes sense. I think tools-wise and just pure talent-wise, he probably belongs in the second or third round. Um, But there have been questions about his swing and miss rate. He swung and miss. 25% 25% last summer in the Cape Cod League. Uh, maybe if he had performed better, then his his baseline would have been higher, even without a spring this year. Maybe that would have made teams a little bit more confident. But he does have a lot of supplemental tools that are impressive. He's got good arm strength uh, when he's healthy, if he can get that arm back to full health. He's got a, he's a plus-plus runner in center field. So another guy who's got a chance to be an impact defender um, with some power offensively, if he can kind of tap into that consistently. But I think the injury is the biggest thing, and just not having seen him play this spring might have been a, a factor that pushed him out. 
you mentioned a couple of things in terms of percentages, and we don't just focus on defense here. We focus on analytics as a whole. Were there any particular analytics darlings that were uh, selected in this draft uh, that you would feel pretty good about from looking at some of the stats that go beyond the basics? Uh, go beyond the basics. Yeah, that's a good one. I think just as, in terms of statistical performers, I think Kirstad is interesting at number two just because he might be one of the safest players in the class just because you look at everywhere he's played, he's hit at a very high level. Let's see, in terms of going a little bit deeper than that, guys who are interesting to me would be um, Aaron Sabato at 27 to the Twins. His power is absolutely massive. If you look at his average exit velocity in college, I think it stacks up with um, most of the top players in the entire country. I don't have the exact numbers on that just because they're not public, but we've seen a few sneak out and he's a guy who's hit like one 110 115 exit velos in college i think that's pretty impressive some other guys would be justin lang uh right-handed pitcher that the padres took in the supplemental first he went from throwing in the low 90s last summer to touching 100 uh after adding like 30 to 40 pounds of muscle in a year i think that's pretty impressive uh, another one would be luke little the left-hander i'm sure you've at least heard of this he hit 105 in a bullpen <laughs> on the left side, which is pretty ridiculous. And then there are guys that I really like um, who have pretty big spin rates. Uh, JT Ginn is a guy whose who's breaking ball is pretty impressive. His fastball has a lot of life. I'd be interested to see what the average spin rates are in those pitches. That's not something that I have like at my hands here. I mean, Max Meyer and Garrett Crochet from a pitch data standpoint would be two of the more fascinating players in the class. Meyer has a a fastball into the upper 90s consistently and then the best slider that that I've seen since I've been doing it for Baseball America and that many scouts have seen in a very long time it's a slider that is in the low 90s consistently with massive depth and spin uh, I imagine the spin rates on that pitch are pretty impressive and then Garrett Crochet the left-handed pitcher out of Tennessee who the White Sox selected with their first round pick he probably has the best fastball in the class it's a pitch that's into the upper 90s, has touched 100, but it plays up because he's six foot six and he's coming at you from just such a ridiculous angle. Uh, if I'm a left-handed hitter, he's the guy that I least want to face uh, because he has that fastball from that angle and he also has a pretty, uh, pretty dirty slider as well. So those would be some just kind of off the top of my head that are fascinating. All right, perfect. Uh, Carlos Calaza, where can uh, people follow you and read, and read your writing? Yeah, if you want to read any of my stuff, that's all at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazo. Those would be the, the two best places to follow me. C-O-L-L-A-Z-O on the last name. C-A-R-L-O-S uh, for the first name. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, and uh, we look forward to reading uh, your work and seeing you on uh, TV Talking Draft in the future. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. This was fun. And this wraps up this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Carlos Colazzo and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Please rate and review our podcast if you can. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you down the road. Check out our new baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible, Volume 5, available at actasports.com. That's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. 
If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.